following is a production of Locked Up Sports. Everybody, this is Don LaGreca from the Michael K Show. When it comes to talking sports, Bob Walters and Brett Grasso are the authority. Can't wait. When it comes to talking sports, they're the authority. It's Bob Walters and Brett Grasso. It's Locked Up Sports, and it starts now. Bring them out, bring them out, hey! Bring them out, bring them out, yo! Bring them out, bring them out, hey! Bring them out. Here we go! Bob Walters, Brett Grasso, from the Brian Gunzel Studios, this is Locked Up Sports. We got a big one on deck for you here today. The Rangers are in a slump, the Knicks go back to work, Aaron Rodgers emerges from the darkness, and we talk to former Mets general manager Steve Phillips. Brett, what is up? Welcome back. Thanks, Bob. Been, uh... Been gone a little while. I've been you've been holding it down for holding me. I appreciate it. Down. it. Holding yeah. down the I've fort. actually really uh, listened to a couple of your shows uh, in the last. Uh, I noticed we got a bump in the in the ratings. Because yeah, you yeah, listen. yeah. It was I. That was me. <laughs> but uh, no, I, we had a rough couple of weeks in my family. We lost my uncle Scotty uh, almost three weeks ago. Now uh, lost my my grandmother just about a week ago. Um, so I was down in Florida for a bit. Taking care of mom, we did all that stuff, but uh, you know what? Now you're back. Yeah, we're doing all right now. And, and we got a big one here, Brad. Yep. Brad, I got a Steve Phillips. I got a Steve Phillips. Brad. Let me tell you. Let me tell you that, that that's as big as it gets. So I was honestly, I was on a flight this morning, coming back from Florida. I was like, no matter what happens, I got to get back for Steve. Phillips. You got to be back for Steve Phillips. Now we're gonna get to all that in a minute. We'll talk baseball. We're gonna go into everything with him. Uh, I wanted to start with the Rangers. Listen, the Rangers, they. Should, Igor Shosturkin has been slumping. He has not. He he's given up four goals in multiple periods now. He's given up goals in in, in first periods four goals. So he's been slumping. The team has lost three in a row. They they, they the trade deadline. Are they gonna get Kane? Are they not gonna get Kane? Is it all on him or is it defense? No, like, to be, uh, to be is, honest, is, with it, you, is he giving up soft goals like that type of thing? Here's, or is the, it, here's the weird thing. He's he's winning the games. He's really only lost. One of the games that he's given up these goals, he lost the other night against Winnipeg. Now he gave up four goals on twenty-one shots. It's it's not acceptable. You can, he said he's admitted that he's lost confidence in himself. Okay. He's got a big game now tomorrow night. It is against the Capitals at home um, in Washington. The Capitals have been slumping. They're talking about maybe being sellers now at the deadline. So it's a huge game for the Capitals. It's a huge game for the Rangers and Igor Shesterkin. Now, last night, they didn't play well either. Shostakhin did not play, but the Rangers did not play but well if, last but night. But if you're going to slump, isn't this when you want them to slump? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, if, it, if it's a slump? Yeah, like, it, well, it is a slump. If, They're winning games still. But, right, which is even better, which means maybe you can imagine working. It's like you're a bad you're a bad hitter in baseball, but you, you you're, great, you're not hitting, but your team's winning, you work your way through it, and on the other end. Yeah, it's you like know? the quarterback. It's one thing if you lose it and picks. you cost yourself the season. Yeah, I mean, look. Well, quarterback's different because you lost the games, probably. Listen, the other night against against Winnipeg, it, it was kind of, it was a, it was alarming because he gave up four goals on 21 shots, okay? The Rangers got 51 shots. They ran into a hot goaltender. They only got one goal. They might not have won anyway. Because when the guy's making 50 saves, you know, what are you going to do? But you, I guess you want to get it out of your system, is what you're saying. Which is is he's not going to be perfect. He set the bar a little there's high last year. Worst times a year for it to happen. There are worst times. There are worst times, and uh, you know it's the trade deadline. We'll see. The Rangers now sat uh, a couple players last night. The word is that now they might be going after Kane, who is yeah. who's playing out of his mind now. He's playing the best hockey he's played in a year. 
with the Blackhawks. We'll see what happens. I didn't think they were going to get Kane because they. I thought they already made a big deal with the Tarasenko, and I thought that was going to be it. Maybe just get some pieces, move some pieces around, get get some finishing pieces to make a run. We'll see. They got a big game tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's a big game. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how how the Rangers react with Shostakin if he could get his confidence back. Because he, he is. When he's on his game, he's one of the best goalies in the world. He set the bar very, very high last year. And he, you're just not going to live up to that. You, you're not going to live up to that, even if no, you're Patrick Waugh or, or Marty Brodeur back in the 90s. It's just not going to happen. So we'll see. Like you said, it, it, it's a good time to have a slump. And they, they do win games. They do have a little room between them and Pittsburgh and the Islanders. The Islanders, listen, the yeah. Islanders are done. The, Ra- the, Ra- uh, the Devils... Just keep winning. I keep. I always say. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks. I think the Devils are kind of a paper tiger, not playing. You know, but they just keep winning. So, so we'll see. Now, the the NBA starts in, in tonight again, and we also Aaron Rodgers. It's only been nine days. Uh, yeah, it's like a whole week nine, off, right? No, nine days. Nine days is outrageous. Well, you know what? We'll see. And none of them play that. They don't want. They love it because it's vacation. Yeah, they, they don't play. That, that whole uh, all-star thing, nobody the plays. No. They, they don't even play in the game, barely, some of them. Now, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers has emerged from the darkness. I've heard. You've heard, right? And he's what coming you, out. What do you think? Was he in there to eat mushrooms? Because he eats I, mushrooms and I can stuff, tell you man. one thing. Derek Carr hasn't slept in days. <laughs> do you want to decide? <laughs> do you think that now I went from you got to have Rodgers. Now I'm not sure if, if he's what he's going to do. Because he's a nut. Rodgers is a nut job. What is it going to be? Do they go? Do they do they let Derek Carr leave New York, or do you do you just say, "Listen, Derek we're not Carr, letting him leave"? Derek Carr does not have a better opportunity. Derek Carr is waiting. Yeah, but what he's happens? He's not going if he anywhere, leaves? and he's most likely going to be right when the Jets find out the price and everything else. And he, I, there's a pretty good chance it ends up with Derek Carr. But the Jets are going to go for it. The Jets have, I'm pretty sure, are going to go for Aaron Rodgers. They've do you think they know? Do you think Rodgers' people has been like, "Hey, listen, they're having to sit down this right now. They're about to have a sit down with Green Bay and give him his list of teams." He's like about this now. He's out of the darkness. Today, probably. Yeah, I don't know the, the day. They, they they said when. I'm not okay. sure when. But he's about to sit down, and that's not a. That's just a hundred percent. I'm not coming back hundred percent. Here are the teams you can, you should negotiate with. Okay, and do you think the Jets are on the list? The Jets are on definitely. The Jets are on all the quarterbacks. See, this is the difference. This isn't the Jets, Bob. You're talking about the Jets. This is the only time in the history of the Jets that quarterbacks want to go to the Jets. Ever. Well, call one. You don't know if Rodgers wants to come to the Jets. No, no. But I'm saying that that is one of the only decent opportunities in the NFL if you want to win a Super Bowl next year is the Jets as a quarterback. Or teams that already have their quarterback. So you, you can't go to those teams. The only teams left are who? Yeah, but there's like Raiders? 10 teams. Who Raiders. You want? Raiders. Uh, Carolina. The Raiders, look, the Raiders are terrible. Carolina. Yeah, but the Raiders. No, we're right talking about teams that can go to the Super Bowl. They're Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy G. They have one goal. They're, they're going to a team that gives them the chance. The Jets are more or less going to get their pick based on who you want to trade or if you don't want to trade anybody for him. They're going to yeah, have but, their pick. Uh, okay, but the okay, let's say the Jets are, are not on his list, and Derek Carr goes, and let's say uh, Carolina's not on, on, on his list either, whatever reason, and Carr gets a good deal from Carolina. Oh. Now what? You stuck with Jimmy G? Now you just blew it. Now you blew it. You blew it if you were signing a long-term deal. You never, you didn't blow anything. You could bring in Jimmy G to a two-year deal, and I feel just fine. Okay, right so now. what do you do then? Two years, you're gonna start over again. We gonna have Zach you're Wilson not starting over. You're Jimmy. Any Jimmy G's cool. now, dude. Jimmy he's, G gets hurt. Is, I, 
I'm not okay. I, I I'll give you that. But if listen, you you're talking about putting in. There's only so many quarterbacks that are capable of taking you to the playoffs and winning playoff games. He is one of them. Uh, me worried about if he's gonna get hurt next month when you don't have an option between any other quarterback. I'm taking Jimmy G. Yeah, yeah, but you go, you're going you're from Aaron Rodgers to no, Jimmy but you're G. Saying is a done. big You're step saying down. when they're gone, this is how it's going to go. You're going to go. Listen, Lamar Jackson's the next one. He's going to. He may get franchise tagged, where you can give up two first round picks for Lamar Jackson. I would take Lamar Jackson over. over but it's going to cost you two, your next two first round. Fine, take it, take it. You can have it, right? That's, that's, right? that's the cost. It's two first round. If they put him into this, into the franchise tag where other teams can ask, you can, yeah, you can have that. You can have my two. You can have my my next three first round picks for so Lamar Jackson. Your next option because there's a very good chance that that's what the Ravens do. That they put him under that tag because uh. other the next tag is so much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, quarterbacks get ridiculous. We were talking. The, uh, Daniel Jones is asking for forty-five million now. Obviously, listen, he, you can. It's like StubHub when they're like, "Oh, someone's asking for ten grand for these tickets tonight." It's a Tuesday night Mets game. Yeah, you can ask for whatever you want. That doesn't mean it's going to sell. He's not getting forty-five million. I would. I don't even think he's worth thirty million. But the Giants have no trees. Got to have the Giants. He's got the Giants by the balls because where are they going to go? Right, you gotta have now. Do you franchise him and give him thirty million, well, yeah. or do you let? I think they should let Barkley go. That's I'm somebody. I've been saying forever. I would, let Barkley I would go. franchise Jones, and I would let Barkley. I, I, I'd let him go, or you know, or unless he's will, he may be willing to take a reasonable deal. Barkley. No, this is this one contract where he's good. This is his. This is his. You can retirement only get the, contract, but you're not gonna go get. There's not that many guys who are gonna go give you big money. You're talking as if there's other people who are gonna throw this money. I at think Barkley. somebody will. They're somebody gonna give will. him money. It's not gonna be some crazy number. So you may be able to get a more reasonable deal done with Barclay and hold on to Jones with the franchise tag. And still, yeah, you're going to pay a decent amount of money, and you're going to overpay for a running back. 100%. 100%. But No, you don't you have to overpay Barclay. for a running back. Look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. They have a kid from Rutgers that's making, like, whatever he's making, a million dollars, two million dollars. Look at the Jets. they got two running backs that are great now. They have two two rookie running backs that had... Uh, yeah, for the next three, what, three, four years, right? Because they're not going to re-sign him. Yeah. Each and, one can tear their ACL every and year. And running backs are, are uh, first of all, they're a dime a dozen. You don't need a great yeah. one, okay? You don't need Barry Sanders or Emmitt Smith to these days to win a Super Bowl. No, op- great offensive lines make great running backs, and you have to be have a certain ability. You have to be one of those guys who know who's like there's only a handful, there's only so many that are that good of the running backs. But they're a dime a dozen. They burn out. Yeah, they burn out. And and listen, even a Barkley, like I'm all for it. Like good for him. He's going to get his paycheck because of what he did last year. I like Barkley, but listen, you could. Daniel Jones led the Giants in rushing in more games than Barkley did. It's too did. much money. If you're telling me that that's your option or no. See, that's the thing. Like I I was listen, when we go back to the Jets for a second and Aaron Rodgers, I was a little I was a little bit against it because of the long-term ramifications of giving up whatever you got to give up in draft picks and money for Aaron Rodgers and is he he's a question mark. He's still a question mark. So it's a little bit difficult, but the more I, I kind of sat back and thought about it, and I go, these windows, these two-year window of opportunities, that's all they are in the NFL. They're only two- to three-year windows. Yeah, you go from last to first in they, two years. And, and, you're, and, you're, and, it's, and you don't even get them that often. And, you, and I totally am, do understand that, you know what, I, I could see going for two to three years, and you actually could build something that you can honestly rebuild after Does he that have to win else. the Super If he comes here, does he have to win the Super Bowl for it to be successful? 100%. Not even... Because the two championship games, yes. that's what Sanchez Anybody went to. Anybody else can be a progress made where you go to 
almost to the AFC Championship or to the AFC Championship and the next year win the AFC Championship. I'll give you that if you're Derek Carr or Jimmy G. Lamar Jackson, I'll even give you a one-year gap between pushing the AFC Championships and really what Aaron Rodgers this year and next year has to this year has to go to the AFC Championship. Next year has to win the Super Bowl. I agree. So, um, all right, so now we, we're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side with Steve Phillips. So stick around. Big interview coming up. We'll be back right after this. Hey, I'm Jackson Bragman, host of the Bragman Breakdown Podcast. Here at TBB, we break down the latest happenings in sports and pop culture by talking to some of the most fascinating people in these fields, including Ohio State star forward Zed Key, Detroit Lions play-by-play announcer Dan Miller, and world number two ranked squash player Paul Cole. 2022 was huge for us, but bigger and better things are ahead for 2023. Listen to the Bragman Breakdown now, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now we are joined by former Mets general manager, currently works for the MLB Radio Network on SiriusXM, Steve Phillips. Steve, thanks for joining the show. No, I'm glad to do it. Happy to be with you. Awesome, thank you. Thank um, you for being here, Steve. Now, real quick, um, give us give us the uh, Billy Epler's position and, and everything that he went through with, with the Carlos Correa deal that kind of went south for the Mets after what had happened. They already knew he had an injury and everything. Give us give us what a GM would think about that. Well, I think the Mets. You know, they had interest in Correa. Uh, they clearly knew what went on with the San Francisco Giants. But, I, you know, they figured, why not at least take a flyer, see if we can make a deal. Uh, but they knew the physical was going to be a challenge. And and, uh, and sure enough, the Mets doctors flagged the same issues that the Giants doctors did, which in some ways gave the Giants a little bit more credibility where people thought that, you know, the biggest issue involved was cold feet, not an injured foot or leg. Uh, but that just they got scared of the money. But that wasn't it. There was a concern there. And I think at some point, you know, when you're a general manager, you rely upon the doctors. You don't know. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you know, we all do a little bit of medical work. We do a little bit of lawyer work. We do a little bit of trainers and coaches. And we do a little bit of that when you're the general manager. But when it comes to this sort of thing and the level of risk you're willing to take, you've got to rely upon the experts. And the Mets have outstanding team physicians. And I think from really Billy Upper's perspective, you know, they had Escobar already in place, so it wasn't like they they lost out on somebody else while waiting for the the Correa thing to resolve itself, which is a little bit different than the, the Giants, who, you know, they had to fill the spot somewhere else in, in, in their roster some other way once they lost out on Correa. This was sort of the icing on the cake for the Mets if they could get it. You know, and it's interesting to me that so many Mets fans <clears throat> that I heard, <clears throat> excuse me, long complained about the ownership not spending enough money. But it was funny that, that when they got Correa, the number of people said, ah, you know, I don't know if I like it. It just, it, I want to win with, with character and integrity. And I'm like, wait, you don't get to complain about not spending money. And then when your owner's going to spend money, say, no, I, I don't want him to spend it that much. I mean, so, you know, it was funny to listen to. Uh, but, but the twins had Correa. Uh, they had him last year. They knew him better than everybody else. Uh, but, I understood the risk and why the Mets bailed out of it, and uh, and all it does is leave money freed up to go in another direction later. Listen, we're a damaged group, Steve. We're a damaged group, us Mets fans. So, yeah, you, I mean, you didn't hear yeah, us. You didn't yeah. hear us talking about character on this show. We were talking about spend the money and get me that championship now. <laughs> yeah, especially with all the Yankee fans we yeah. know. Now, were you surprised they didn't match the Twins? Because the Twins got them on the cheap. Well, I think it, at some point, uh, you know, I, I think at some point the Mets sort of realized that, 
that even at that level, there's a level of risk. And, and what the Mets did, the Mets were willing to pay him. I mean, here's the other way to look at it. If Correa wasn't worried about his leg, he should have taken the Mets deal. Yep. Because he would have, it was for more years, but he would have made $45 million more for the Mets deal. Uh, and uh, over the same amount of time, if he, it, it just was going to be backloaded a little bit, he wasn't going to get money up front, but he would have made more. So his saying, okay, I'm going to take the Twins deal, makes me believe that he has a concern about his foot. Otherwise, he would have taken the Mets deal. If he had no concern, take the longer-term deal, take all the money from the Mets, and, and go play. But he had concern about it, too. And so, you know, I think the Mets did the right thing that they their big issue was, is he going to last for 10 or 12 years? Will the leg hold up? Uh, and, you know, the other part of this is, you know, here's a guy that's dealing with a lot of back issues, too. Well, when you have, and who's, the, you know, in my view of it is, when I've got a leg issue, uh, lower leg issue, and then it's coupled with back issues, that's a compensation injury for something that, that's hurting in your leg. And so I think that there's a lot of reasons to walk away from that one. In the long run, <clears throat> I think the Mets are going to be grateful that they didn't get Correa. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Now, do you think, speaking of injuries, and uh, do yeah. you think they did the right thing with, with DeGrom? And do you also think that, is starting pitching the most overrated, overpaid position in sports? Well, you know, first, I think they did the right thing with DeGrom. I, he scares me. I mean, he's made 26 starts combined over the last two years. He's not made more than 15 starts in the year over the last three years. Uh, and so... You know, I've got a real concern there. My experience is where there's smoke, there's fire. And when a guy constantly needs to miss time, uh, then, and then he can come back. And then constantly, there's, there's, there's not just a strain, there's an injury somewhere in there. And so I, I, I don't blame them for walking away on that one either. Uh, and quite honestly, I think Verlander, even at his age, is much less of a risk mm-hmm. than DeGrom is. So I think the Mets actually worked, got spent less money and got a, a, a you know a, a more probable pitcher in Verlander. So I like what they did with that one. And I love DeGrom. I mean, when he's healthy, when he's pitching, he's the best in the world. But, you know, he's just not able to keep, take the ball every fifth day. Verlander showed he could do it coming back from Tommy John. He's an elite-level pitcher. Uh, an experienced guy. And so I think they did the right thing with the ground. And, and you know, here's the thing. Uh, great starting pitching, you know, is the difference between a guy with a three-and-a-half ERA and a two-and-a-half ERA doesn't feel like it's all that much, right? Three, but, but it's huge. And it's worth millions if you're the sub-three ERA starting pitcher. And so uh, I, it's not overrated, but I will say this, that it's, it's easier to find pitching than it is to find everyday position players. So, like in the draft, you know, the Angels a couple of years ago, you know, they, they've never had pitching in L.A., and so they drafted in the shortened season, uh, in the shorter draft, they drafted 20 straight pitchers. And I think that's the biggest mistake. I, if you want good pitching, draft 20 good position players and then later trade them for the pitchers where yeah. somebody else pays for the Tommy John, somebody else pays for the development, Somebody else gets that guy right because you can find, you can get somebody on waivers that turns into somebody. You can get somebody in a trade. You get somebody who gets released. You sign a free agent. Uh, and so, you know, I think that pitching is critical to win, but you don't always have to get it and develop it from within. Yeah, and I love that. I love that because Verlander is basically, I think Verlander is the top 10 pitcher of all time. Now, Verlander is, he's kind of the anti-Degram. You know, how long can he go for? Is he Nolan Ryan? 
Yeah, it's hard to say with where that's going to end up. I mean, you know, he's always been a guy. Like, with Verlander, I don't know if people remember, like, when he was in Detroit, I grew up in Detroit, so I watched the Tigers a lot. Uh, and, you know, watching Verlander, he was a guy that actually had to hold back his fastball early in the game and throw it 96-97. But he would take pride in the fact that he'd throw his 99th and 100 pitch at 99 miles per hour and 100 miles per hour. He had that ability to, to, to hold on to that velocity throughout the course of the game. He's got outstanding breaking stuff. He's got a really clean delivery that he can repeat on a regular basis, uh, which is allowing him to sustain command and control and health and all of that. You know, he had Tommy John, worked his way back from it, but uh, he looks like he's as fresh as he was 10 years ago. With with this team, with, you know, picking up Verlander, we have Scherzer now coming for his second year, Kodai Senga. I mean, all the other free agent pickups we've had re-signing the most important pieces do we, how much pressure is it on the Mets and on Buck Showalter in particular to, to win the championship this year? Well, I think that, that uh, you know, I, there's pressure, but, uh, you know, there's good reason for it, right? There's, there's a reason everybody's excited about the team and has expectations. There's a lot of talent on the team. So, you know, Buck Showalter doesn't care about pressure. He, he gets it. He's been around for a long time. Uh, he's going to make sure that he goes out there, manages, tries to keep everybody healthy, Keep the eye on the ball, which is come October, you want to have Scherzer, who always seems to run out of gas late, try to keep him fresh. And Verlander, try to keep him fresh so that you've got your aces ready to go late in the year. But for sure, there's pressure. But the reality is this. The Atlanta Braves are really good. The Philadelphia Phillies are really good. The Dodgers and the Padres are really good. The Cardinals are going to be really good. The Brewers. And so, you know, there are a lot of other good teams. And what we saw last year, just get to the playoffs, and then you have a chance, right? Once you make the tournament, you've got a chance. I mean, the reality is what the Philadelphia Phillies did last year as the third wild card team, I think reinforced everybody in baseball, just get in. Yeah. You know, under the new format with wild card teams where it's a three-game series, not a one-game series, I think it gives those teams a little bit better chance to try to sustain and make a run. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the Mets are in a good spot going into the season. Yeah, but I mean, then you get in, and then all of a sudden you're in the fifth inning, and you have the best pitcher in the world, and he's losing seven nothing. <laughs> yeah, San Diego, San Diego did that to <laughs> right. us this year. That's exactly right. What right, that happens. No, that's the thing because you know the shorter the series, the more any individual great performance or any individual clunker can affect you know your it'll end your season and so or or continue your season and so. You know, what you want to do is get through that early series to where you get a five-game series, you get a seven-game series, where it really comes down to, at that point, the more talented rosters should prevail in a longer series rather than one of those three-game series that that, uh, can get a little crazy. Now, uh, talk a little bit about Nimmo and McNeil and how important those signings are for the Mets. No, they're big. I mean, table setters. Uh, But they're also, both those guys are part of the grit that is this Mets team. You know, they're they're the grinders. Uh, they're the dirtbag guys that are, you know, that are, you know, going to end the day as the dirtiest guys on the field. They're going to crash into the wall. They're going to dive for it. McNeil's going to break a helmet or two if he doesn't get a hit. Uh, and you know, and, and he can he can throw a temper tantrum with the best of them. Uh, but but I, you know, those guys day games after night games. You want those sort of gritty, tough guys. You know, they're contact hitters. They get on base. They don't strike out a lot. They keep the line moving for the offense and so. They're so important because what they do is they set up the offense for the sluggers. They set up the offense for Lindor and for Alonso and those guys who drive in the runs. So really valuable guys and certainly, uh, I think, a good thing that's brought them back. 
Speaking of McNeil, were you surprised that he signed before hitting free agency? And uh, I feel like the Mets got a steal with McNeil. I honestly thought that he was leaving next year. I thought he was heading back to the West Coast where he came from. Um, but now it looks like we got him for a few years for what I believe is a discount. Yeah, so so here's the thing is, you know, he would have hit free agency at 32-33. Uh, and, you know, I think he's looking at it saying, well, geez, you know, 32, 33-year-old guys aren't going to get as good a deal. Why would I not want to get paid at the age of 33 based upon what I did at the age of 30 or 31? Uh, and, you know, non-power hitting, no stolen base guys, right? So he really relies upon just his batting average because, you know, the impact players hit for power or they have speed. They're going to hit it out of the park or they're going to steal bases, especially with the new rules coming in. And he's not really either one of those guys. You know, he's more of a uh, of a tweener. And so I, I honestly think that he, he did the right thing for himself with his age and where he is in free agency. Uh, and I think that, that listen, if not, someone's going to give me $50 million, yeah. uh, I, you know, and I, I'll and take I don't 20. Know I'll, I'll, take, so I'll take the league minimum. Yeah, I'll be like, Rick, I'm with you. Me too. <laughs> and so so I, think, I think he did the right thing. And I don't know necessarily that maybe he left some money on the table, but you know, I don't know what people are going to pay a guy at 33 who doesn't hit for power or have speed. What is uh what does the catching situation look like for this team? Well, Navarez is a solid catcher and he's a good on base percentage guy too. He can work account behind the plate, not a bad defensive catcher. He can throw a bit, which is important because the solo base is coming back. But I think at some point, Francisco Alvarez is going to be the guy. Now, whether that's from opening day on remains to be seen. But I do think that, you know, Nito's a good backup as well. He did a smart thing getting himself a two-year deal. And, and I think uh, understanding that at some point you do the math, I don't suspect the Mets are going to carry three catchers. So to get the two-year deal and a guarantee now with Narvaez and Alvarez there, I think makes sense. Now, they might carry three with Alvarez DHing some. But um, I do think that uh, Alvarez at some point will start to get the bulk of the playing time. And that's either at bats behind the plate or at bats in the DH role. Well, I mean, they got Vogel back too. Yeah. Well, I know, but they t- as yeah. a GM, how do you feel about Alvarez? A lot of them have said, "Oh, let's get him, get his reps, and down in the minors." Or is he, it, or do you leave him up here and have not as many reps right. and not be able to develop that catching? Uh, the, you know, that, well, that, that which is what they yeah. really want him to be. Ultimately, is the is the well, catcher? Yeah. If he's at the major league level, he needs to play. Right? You're not going to put him on the bench and and, and that. Now he can get his at bats DHing. You know, Vogel back as a left-handed hitter, they can sort of uh, ham and egg it a bit. I'm not all that keen at Darren Ruff and his, you know, that he's a factor there. I think that, that you make a move there with him. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally, you know, with the idea that if a guy can be in the top three in Rookie of the Year and he starts on your opening day roster and you can get a draft pick out of it, I'd be more inclined to have Alvarez start in the big leagues yep. and, and, and force his playing time. I think the biggest challenge is going to be Verlander and Scherzer and Senga for a rookie catcher. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they're set in their ways. Senga, you've got the communication challenges that exist there. Uh, and for a rookie catcher, you know, winning the hearts of Verlander and Scherzer is not an easy thing to do. They tend to like the veteran guy who they know, who knows how to handle them. They think together. You know, the idea of, of having a young catcher shaking them off all the time, you know, Verlander gets mad at that. And so that's going to be interesting to see how they do it. The other thing I think is going to be important for the Mets is, you know, in in May, uh, you know, Verlander and Scherzer are going to be feeling great. And they're going to go out and have a good outing. They're going to have a 5 nothing lead in the sixth inning. And they're going to want to go back out for the seventh. And I really do think that Buck Showalter 
needs to pull them out of that game and save the inning. Totally. And it's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a tough sell because what, the reason you're doing it is you want them to stay fresh in September, but trying to convince these guys that when they feel great in May, they should come out of a game. They're going to be like, yeah, no, I feel great. Why are you taking me out? But we're taking me out because you always run out of gas and we need you for October. That's going to be the challenge for yeah. Buck. I think it's going to be an important part of his managing this team, not just for the regular season, but for the postseason as well. But that's why it's good to have somebody like Buck. He's got a track record. He's not some young gun new manager that, that really doesn't, you know, doesn't have the track record. Buck yeah, he's is got respected. The credibility. You know, he's yeah, got the he's credibility. Got credibility. And, I, and I think that, that, you know, he can have that conversation with them. You know, listen, Verlander was very manageable under Dusty Baker, another credible, solid, professional manager. Scherzer will fight uh, tooth, and, tooth and nail, though. Yeah, Scherzer doesn't like to come out of the game, you know. And, and you know, it, it's one of those ones where you walk out there and his nostrils are flaring and you see the smoke coming out of his ears uh, and you're kind of, you know, just don't make eye contact, extend your hand, take the ball, and let him get angry, but let him walk off the mound to do it. All right, so now um – the high school version of me, me and Brett oh, here. Yeah. We we got some issues with what you did as Mets Mets GM here. Oh, that's <laughs> I was it took you a while. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wait, we we bartered you up first. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speak, tell tell us what uh, tell us about how Piazza became a Met. Um, you know, just just those those couple of days where he went from L.A. to to Miami and then and then to the Mets. Yeah, so you know when when we were watching the Piazza negotiations with the Dodgers and they weren't able to get a deal done. And, and Fox at the point was running the Dodgers and they, they made a decision to just part ways. And so they, they reached out to the Marlins. Remember, the Marlins were coming off the 97 season. So they're in the World Series. They won a World Series, but because they didn't draw 30,000 fans a game, Wayne Huizenga, the owner who had said, look, I don't care if we win. If we don't average 30,000 a game, I'm going to sell the team. And, and, and he was going to. And in the meantime, they wanted to start to pare down their roster. So they had built it up to win a championship. They started trading everybody away, you know, and so uh, they had, uh, at the time, they had Sheffield and, and a number of different players that they were trying to move, and so they made a deal with the Dodgers to, to shed the money. What Dave Dombrowski thought was, sure, I'll take back Todd Zeal, and I'll take back Mike Piazza in the deal if I can get out from under all this payroll, and then I can trade Piazza and get prospects. Now, what was bizarre was, why the Dodgers didn't just trade Piazza themselves to get the prospects, and then the Marlins would have given them those players just to clear them off their payroll so that, you know, the Fox people really gave Piazza away when they could have actually capitalized on, on getting the prospects themselves. But when Dave Dombrowski made the deal to get, and Dave and I had made a lot of deals. We had talked a lot. I got Al Leiter from him. I got Dennis Cook from him. We were after Kevin Brown that offseason, and so, we knew, we, I knew all the people that, that Dave Zabrowski liked in our organization. And some of them he ended up getting in the deals that we had made. And so when they first got Piazza, I called him and he said, well, I think we're going to hold on to him right now. And, uh, and for a little bit, and he said, well, but I'll mark you down as being interested when we decide to go ahead and move him. And then about two days later, he called back and said, you know what? We're not going to hold him. We're going to go ahead and, and move right away to try to trade him. Uh, so if you're interested, let's, let's talk about it. And so I certainly had interest uh, about it. Uh, and then, you know, went back and, you know, when you're going to make a decision like this for a guy who's going to be a big free agent at the end of the year, you're going to give up some capital of players, but you're also going to have to spend some money if you're going to keep them in the offseason. So I went to ownership. We had a discussion about it. Remember, we had Todd Hundley coming back from Tommy John surgery as well, right around that same time to come back and catch. Uh, and, and so we thought, well, 
you know, what is the best way to go about this? We're going to get Humby back. Well, you know, you might say was the second best catcher of that fan, time. Fan favorite. Uh, yeah. Fan favorite. He was the reason we went and gave those free uh, Coke cans to sit in the picnic area every Friday night. Right, yeah, and he was amazing, right? And Todd was a gamer, too, hard-nosed, tough guy. Uh, but he was coming back from Tommy John. We knew it wasn't his arm wasn't going to be quite right, but we wondered, we thought, well, should we give up prospect to duplicate the catcher's position when we have Hundley coming back? And so we discussed it internally, and I think the decision at the time was, yeah, I think we should probably still explore this. Uh, but then after talking with ownership about it all, we sort of backed down uh, and, and pulled out of it. Uh, and then uh, what I was able to do was to get the, all the staff back together again uh, on the business side, on the baseball side, and go back at ownership again and say, listen, I really think we should do this now. We, you know, we need a star player. Uh, I love Hunley, but he's not the, the, you know, the marquee star. And we can get Hunley. We'll try him in left field, see if that could work out. But let's go get Piazza. And I finally got approval to do it. And so, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog take a lot of credit I was for us playing Piazza. And it's so funny because I said to, to Chris Russo, I said, by the way, when you call Dave Dombrowski, what did you offer him for Piazza when you made that deal? I'm thinking, <laughs> like, I, 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 you weren't ever in my office to be part of this. Uh, but they think they applied pressure on us to go get it. Uh, and it's just not how it happened. But it's, it's a good story. Uh, so we went back. And here's what I knew. Dave Dombrowski liked to make trades where uh, there were lists. He wanted to choose players off of lists. So what I did was uh, I knew three players that I would include in the deal for Piazza. Uh, and, uh, but Dave likes to be the one to make the decision about who the players are. So what I did is I put one player, Preston Wilson, on list A, and then surrounded him with a couple other guys, knowing that the guy he liked the most was Wilson. Then I put Ed Yarnell on list B with a couple other guys that I knew that he'd like Yarnell the most because we had already talked to him about these players in the uh, Kevin Brown and, and Al Leiter and, and Dennis Cook trade. And then I took Jeff Getz, uh, put him on list C with three other players and said, okay, Dave, you can take one guy off list A, one guy off list B, and one guy off list C, knowing that he would take Preston Wilson, Ed Yarnell, and Jeff Getz, but he also liked list. So we gave him the list. And sure enough, he came back and said, okay, I'll take uh, Preston Wilson off of A, Ed Yarnell off of B, and Jeff Getz off of C. And I said, good, we got a deal. Uh, and so we were able to get that deal done. We knew Chicago, the Cubs were in on it at that time as well. And so we gave up a lot. You know, Preston Wilson is a good player. He had a good career. Ed Yarnell was the Eastern League Pitcher of the Year. We thought he was going to be a solid number four, number five left-hander. And Getz was a young guy who you know, had, a, had back end of the rotation probably on him as well. Uh, but it turned out that Preston had a good career. But the way I looked at it was, and, and we've given up prospects, is that none of them are going to be as good as Piazza. And, and even if collectively the talent ended up being a package that was more than what Piazza was, the time value of the talent, we needed it now. And to be able to get that talent now and not wait for it to develop and blossom later and come in pieces was the right thing for us. But then the key, obviously, to justify the trade was signing Piazza at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, at the in the off season and and that negotiation was one where uh, it's really funny because uh, I was at the all at the World Series in San Diego uh, and I think it was Yankees and Padres and I drove up to Beverly Hills which is the Beverly Hills Sports Council was representing Piazza at the time uh, and I walked in and I offered them 
$87.5 million. And they said to me, Steve, they pulled out the newspaper where at the time Nelson Doubleday had done an interview. And Doubleday said, uh, you know, listen, we'll probably offer him $91 million to see if we get the deal done uh. and that. And so, uh, and they said, Steve, your owner already said that you're willing to go to the $91 million. I said, all right, so listen, if I go to the 91, can we get the deal done? They go, yeah. I said, okay, good. So we got the deal done like that. And I said, but wait, we've got to sit here for a while. So can we order lunch and, and watch <laughs> yeah. TV for a bit? Because I can't call my owner right now and said I made the deal in five minutes. So we sat there hanging out for a long time. And then later I called and said, listen, I was able to get the deal done for the $91 million that you gave me. And so, because, you know, they already knew we were going there. So we, were, we got the Piazza negotiation done in literally five minutes. That's got to be one of the best meals of your life. Oh, it was the greatest lunch ever. Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah, it was so good. Now, as and listen, I mean, they ordered it from some deli on Rodeo Drive, too. So it was the fancy oh, yeah. uh, ham and, and cheese. Yeah, for sure. Hey, listen, I sat and had lunch with Piazza at a, at a, at a bar in Manhattan last week, uh, last year. I just, he just happened to be sitting next to me. He's, he's the nicest guy ever. Now, as big as, as big of a franchise changing move as that was, A Rod, now you had said you kind of, Reference the twenty four and one. He wasn't going to be a team player. Is it? You know, you never even got to the the money part of it. Do you do you regret not at least going harder after a Rod? So so here's what happened. You know, we were at the general managers meeting, and Scott Boris was there. It was in Amelia Island Plantation in Florida, and and I had a meeting with Scott uh, to talk about a Rod. He gave me his his booklet on a Rod. Tell you know that he was putting out what a great player he is. Like I, like I already know that. Uh, so uh, so. But he said that, look, this, these are things that were part of his deal in Seattle that I've talked to other teams. They're going to be part of the deal wherever he goes. He's going to need an office in the stadium for his marketing guy to be there. Uh, he's going to need a suite in the stadium. Uh, Alex will uh, you know, be, need to take people from the suite into the clubhouse after the games for meet and greet. Uh, he's going to need use of the team logo. He's going to have to fly charter flights from now on. He's going to need a tent and spring training to sell A-Rod apparel and merchandise. He's going to need uh, to talk to your marketing department. He goes, not that he has an ego, but <laughs> he's going to want to see how many billboards you're going to put up of him in comparison That's... to how many the Yankees have of Jeter. He's going to want to look at all the scouting reports that you have of players in the minor leagues so that he's got a sense of who's playing with him and everything else. And I walked out of there with my head spinning because – I have Mike Piazza, who was the most low maintenance superstar, marquee player, who who had you know the entourage he had was his dad and his, his brother came around every once in a while, and Mike always had the prettiest girl waiting for him after the game. I mean that was it. He didn't have his own medical staff, training staff, yeah. you know, the marketing guy. And I thought, how am I going to possibly create this world for one guy when I've got other stars who are as big as a Rod? And, and I don't do any of that for them. And I thought, how, I, that's going to split and fracture my clubhouse. Now, I'm, I will say that I am a little bit inflexible when it comes to that stuff. And I believe that the rules should be the same for everybody, even though the consequences may not be. So, you know, if you're a lesser player and you do something, you might get set to the minor league. If you're a better player and you do something, you're still going to get punished, but it's not going to be a sense of the minor leagues. There's going to be some consequence, right? So, so I just didn't think that it was going to work. So that was even before that was at a time when we couldn't even discuss money in free agency yet. It was just conceptual stuff. So, you know, Scott went through, well, we're going to look for multiple opt outs in the contract and, and everything else. So we never got to the money part and we had some internal conversations around. Maybe we should just go back and say, this is what we're willing to offer. 
but uh, all the other stuff is out. We're not in on it. What? Now, what I did was I went back and said, Scott, I can't do any of this other stuff. But you told me all of this has to be part of the deal. But I will say that we never would have gotten to the two hundred fifty-two <laughs> million. Which, by the way, yeah. you know why it was two hundred fifty-two million, right? That that you know it wasn't two fifty. There was nobody else negotiating in that range. Yeah, but it had to get to two fifty-two. And the reason it went to two hundred fifty-two million instead of two hundred fifty or two hundred forty was because at the time Kevin Garnett had the biggest professional sports contract at one hundred twenty-six million, and Boris and A Rod wanted to double it. So it had to be 252, and the Rangers agreed to it. Uh, and the one thing I feel badly about is that, you know, I, you know, the 24 and 1 was just my, I didn't mean to label him that way. It was just, it was the structure of a clubhouse that I just couldn't, uh, you know, get comfortable with. Uh, and it labeled, and, and I felt bad. He kind of got labeled that way, and I think it hurt him, and I, and I felt bad about it. And, it's, and I think it's taken a long time for that to sort of wear off and, and not. Uh, you know, not bother him having had that label attached. And I, and I feel badly about that. Yeah, but I mean, you just described a nightmare employee. I mean, I want this, I want that. I mean, I get it. He's a great player, and he is. He's a, he's a great player, you know, uh, the steroids, everything aside. But that, that's a that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare coming into your, to your team, to your clubhouse. I mean, it could be. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, he seemed to fit. I mean, the Yankees won a championship with him. Uh, you know, and here's the thing. The Yankees won a championship with, you know, Roger Clemens and Randy Johnson being able to, to leave the team on a Sunday to go home with the off day on Monday and they go beat the team. Like, and those were things that I wasn't, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to be willing to do because I thought, I can't, if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm going to do it for you, I've got to do it for everybody else. And, and yet, you know, it can work. I just was somewhat inflexible with that stuff. And, and I still am a little bit, but I, I just think that if you have a team, how do I hold everybody accountable if, if you don't have to be a part of the team some of the time? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of the old school mentality a little bit. Now, do you think the two set, the, the, the way, the owners that you worked under, the Wilpons, they were, they weren't as much free with the money and everything. Would you say it would be much different working under someone like Steve Cohen, who is, has the, you know, the open checkbook, but he seems to be more hands on and have his, uh, have his nose in every, in the business, in the, in the baseball side of things a little bit more? What, what, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Like, Steve Cohen really has become George Steinbrenner in many regards. You know, George Steinbrenner, you know, would pick players. You know, he'd be involved in which players to take. You know, I, I think the Wilpons get a bad rap. I do. I think that, that, you know, what was the challenge? And I thought the Mets GM job was the toughest job in sports when I was doing it because the expectations and the hopes for the Mets fans were the same as the Yankee fans, yet the resources were different and the, the approach was different. Back then, the Yankees and Brian Cashman didn't have a budget, you know, and, and, you know, I had two owners with Nelson Double A and Fred Wilpon who each owned 50% of the team. So neither one of them had the control to decide the direction over the other. And so it was really hard sort of being in between the two of them trying to manage, well, what do I do? Because one, you know, uh, Nelson believes spend money to make money. And, uh, and, you know, Fred Wilpon, who was great to work with and was really, I enjoyed my time working with him closely for a lot of years. You know, he ran it like a business where what we do is project revenues, work backwards from that to come up with a payroll. And, and the thing is they didn't budget to make money. We would budget to break even. And, and then what we would do is if we won, we made money. And if we lost, then with the deadline, we tried to trade away some players to get back to, uh, you know, close to a break even point. So it wasn't like they were trying to pocket a bunch of money and walk away. They just tried to work from a point of breaking even and then trying to manage it from there. 
where sometimes what other teams and what the Yankees did is they got out in front of it. They set themselves up to lose money, but hope that with the moves that they made, that they would win. They, from a business perspective, it would be better, and they'd at least get caught up to break even or to go beyond. And so it's just a different way of doing business. You know, Steve Cohen is, he wants to win. And, and right now, you know, that because of his wealth, um, you know, millions of dollars don't mean much to him. I did the math on it once, and I think the when Robbie Cano was getting released with $40 million left on his contract, at the time, I thought Steve Cohen was worth $14 billion. So $40 million to somebody who's worth $14 billion is $287 to somebody who has $100,000 in the bank. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, so that, that, is a, that is as good as it can be put. $247, that's a lot of money, you know? Yeah, but to get rid of Robbie Cano, I'd throw in an extra 20 It is really crazy wealth. And, and here's the thing. I, you know, I would never apologize for an owner who wants to spend money. I would relish it. I think it's good for baseball. I thought George Steinbrenner and the way he did it by spending over his mistakes was good for baseball. It created a villain. I think it's good to have a villain in sports. I think the other thing is that every time the Yankees would come into town, those teams that they played would draw more people. They'd make more money. And people kept complaining. I'm thinking, wait, the more they spend, the more revenue they generate, the more luxury tax they pay, the more money small market teams get. So celebrate the Yankees. And I think that, you know, same thing now where people say owners are getting mad at the Mets. Forget that. No. Steve Cohen wants to win. Yeah, we and, don't care. Uh, As Mets fans, uh, we're uh, always we just jealous. <laughs> oh, just jealous. Yeah. And, and look, he, he understands at some point he's going he's gonna to pull back when their farm system gets to where, like the Dodgers have done. The Dodgers spent close to $300 million back when nobody was close. And they, and they won. They got their business plan going. They made good decisions and drafts and, and minor league players. And now they can pull back a little bit because they got a great feeder system of players coming up. People want to play why, for you. Yeah, it works. Why are they still paying Bobby Bonilla? <laughs> we celebrate that now. Well, it's Bobby Bonilla Day. Now our new owner, yeah. we enjoy it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, now we're, they're celebrating it. And uh, and actually, on my radio show on Sirius XM, and I love being on radio, Bobby Bo called in on my birthday this past year. Uh, that's great. Now, the, only, the only gripe I have, I, I have never gotten a birthday gift or a Christmas gift from him. Uh, <laughs> and, on. you know, the lifetime annuity plan yeah. that he got. Now, you know, this, the lifetime annuity plan, the reason that it was done was because of the Bernie Madoff relationship. Yeah. You know, the deferred money uh, that when we released Bernie, it was like $5.9 million out of deal. Uh, the whole plan was, to invest the money in the Madoff fund and to and then defer it. And the, the Mets plan was to make money on Bonilla's money, that whatever he was going to get paid out to $29 billion over the, the 35 years, you know, wait 10 years and the 25 years of payments, the Mets were going to make a ton of money on his $6 million over that period of time that justified significantly. Like, it was a genius move. When we first did it, I mean, the way that we were deferring the money, they were going to make millions of dollars on it with the investment with Madoff. And now we obviously know that, you know, they got burned by it all. But the plan was to do that. And, uh, and what people don't know is Bonilla is still, get, is still getting $500,000 a year from the contract in deferred money that he signed in 1992. Jeez, so he's getting even more money on top of the $1.194763.18 uh, that he's getting right now. So, uh, yeah, so he's, 
he's uh, he's doing well, and for some reason, he's lost my address. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, who would have figured between you and the Will Ponds and everybody yeah. that Bobby Bonilla is the best businessman out there? Yeah, I know, right? Think about it. Smart no, guy. He, I will tell you, Bobby's very smart with his money, and his agent, Dennis Gilbert, did a great job with all of that as well and, and really looked out for players with regard to the deferred compensation, which uh, I, you know, I think more players should probably consider. Um, well, Steve, tell us real quick. Tell people where uh, where, you, where they can find you. Okay, well, I'm on uh, Sirius XM, MLB Network Radio, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 a.m., and that's Sirius XM Channel 89. I'm also doing a, a channel, a show on the Fantasy Channel on Sirius XM Channel 87 from 2 to 4 p.m., uh, through opening day, uh, so now through opening day, and then also uh, I'm on MLB Network TV. I'm doing TSN TV up in Canada. I do some stuff with Marquee Network and Sinclair out of uh, Chicago. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of this and that, but uh, still love being around the game, and obviously still uh, love Mets fans and, and Yankee fans and New York baseball fans as well. Well, next time you're on High Heat with Dog, tell them to stop taking credit for your stuff. Uh, listen, fellas, listen, listen. <laughs> All right, you know, let me tell you something. Today. All right, now listen, you guys, you, 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 you let Phillips off the hook easy on the Bonilla thing. I thought you should have gone a little bit harder on that one. But, but uh, listen, fellas, thank, thanks so much, and, and tune in for high heat at 1 o'clock. He's <laughs> breaking it down. Uh, there he is, folks. His name is Steve Phillips. Steve, hell of a job. Thank you. Thanks so much, Steve. We appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, guys. My pleasure. And how about that, Steve <laughs> oh, man. Phillips? You think that's the best one yet, Bob? I think that's up there with Westoff. I'm I think that's you. up there. I think it might be the best one yet. We got some solid information there. I mean, everything I, about the Mets we wanted to know now, and then everything about the Mets from when we were growing up. Steve Phillips is our is our general manager when we were, you know, going to games. He threw in some Mad Dog skit. He, he threw in some Mad Dog skit. And you know what? They don't get the credit for 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 Piazza anymore. They've been no. they've been. Taking yeah. that credit for fifteen years, yep, twenty years, and and him standing up to A Rod, <laughs> being like, no, 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 you know what? You no, know, A Rod's a What's jerk. Well, you knew A Rod's a jerk. It's not that type of clubhouse, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to talk numbers. I loved it. That was a great job. I did that was fun. Steve Phillips did a great that job. Was a lot there. of fun. And, and again, I, I still have to pinch myself every time we get one of these guys. I, I mean, my, my, my phone book in here, my phone is starting to look like, you know, I'm a GM of a, of a, of a, of a, of a I mean, team. In all honesty, we didn't see him because it could have just been a random Steve Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, listen, it was a great job. Awesome. Um, good show. That was fun. Yeah. You got, you one. got, uh, you got the Knicks tonight. See, you got the Rangers tomorrow. We got uh, Aaron Rodgers. We'll see if we have an answer for you next week. And I know an XFL, a big XFL guy. Not an XFL. We don't do XFL on this show. All right. You want XFL, you do your own show. Love it. You do your own show. Uh, so that that's it. That's it for today, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank Thanks, you to Steve, Steve Phillips. Phillips. Uh, for Brett Grosso, I'm Bob Walters. See ya. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to let everyone know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at LockedUpSports.net. Remember, you can also find us on your favorite social media site, on Twitter at LockedUpSports, on the gram at Locked underscore up underscore sports. Join our Facebook group, Locked Up Sports, or on TikTok at Locked Up Sports Show. Now you can catch all the latest from Locked Up Sports anytime. Thanks for listening.